I have kind of a happy announcement for Element. Uh, we have been looking for a youth minister for almost three years. Apparently, nobody wants to move to California. Who knew? Uh, anyway, so we've been looking for three years. We have a nationwide search, and we actually hired somebody last week. Uh, his, name, his name is Kevin. Uh, Kevin Cobb, and he says it's like corn on the cob. That's how you know how to say it. So it's, this is Kevin Cobb. Uh, this is a picture of him, and uh, this is a sister and her husband. They live up in Slow. That's his mommy. Super nice guy, uh, really good at team building. And the, how we've shuffled everything around here is he will be overseeing high school. And then after people graduate high school, there's this whole kind of limbo period that people kind of fall into. Some people call it young adults, but that's not technically true because it's really people who graduate all the way into like their, their 40s. It's like this whole. And so part of his job is also going to be trying to find a way to connect those people together and element and to the gospel. So he's got his work cut out for him. So when you, so it, he's not going to start till the middle of March. Uh, he gave notice at his other place. He actually lives in Paso Robles. So nationwide search, Paso Robles. Hi. <laughs> Could have made it a lot easier for us, I suppose. But anyway, uh, he, you will see him probably over the next couple of weeks before he actually starts. Uh, he is going to be attending here, driving down. So you'll probably see him. Be nice. Don't be a bunch of weirdos. I know you guys, I, I know I'm pointing the finger at me when I say that, but no, maybe like, what did I do? You know, no, seriously, just be nice, say hi, be yourselves, mostly. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Element, if you are new. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. And on the inside, you're going to get kind of a recap of what we talk about today, some questions to ask one another that recap on what we talk about. On the back, you'll get the verses we're going through. On the bottom, you get a place to write down some notes. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get the sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. And Paul says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And basically what he's saying is, You're a Jew. You can't live up to the Mosaic law. Why are you trying to force these other people to do it as well? Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live in the truth. And that we would see that the truth leads us to freedom, and freedom ultimately comes from you. And that we would see that as we trust you, we will know the truth, and we will live in freedom, because that is how the scripture speaks, and that is how you have revealed yourself to us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are going through the New Testament book of Galatians. This is week eight, and you might be feeling a little deja vu if you were here last week because the verse I had you stand for is a verse we covered last week, and I'll explain what that's about. Uh, in the book of Galatians, what you see is Paul is writing a letter to these people in Galatia. It's an area where he had planted some churches, and the churches there are going through some issues because some false teachers had shown up, and they are trying to convince 
convince the people in Galatia that they are not merely saved by trusting in Christ's provision over them, that to be redeemed and brought into God's family, there was more than faith in Christ that was needed. You also needed a whole lot of works, and those were lies, and those lies were leading the people into slavery and to bondage, and Paul here is trying to speak about the truth. And so today, I'm going to kind of take a little left-hand turn with you. I'm going to cover the verses in here. I'm going to give you a couple more verses than we covered last week, so we are going to move forward. Don't worry. But we're going to take this side excursion, and we're going to talk about this idea of the truth, because the truth is so important in our world today, and yet our world doesn't really understand the truth when we say the word. So we're going to be a little more philosophical today. Uh, when I was in elementary school, the teacher would say, put on your thinking caps. So today I'm going to ask you to put on your thinking caps, metaphorically speaking. I'm going to try to slow down a little bit and kind of walk through this with you. And I hope I do not lose you today because where we're going I think is very important, especially for the culture we live in today. If you don't know this, Christians believe that there is absolute truth. And that absolute truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that claim has caused a lot of people in our world to shy away from Christianity because it is said when you say you have absolute truth, well, what it does is it undermines freedom. And there are all these arguments out there today against Christianity that say Christianity wants to stop people's freedom. But if you look at the scriptures, when Paul speaks about the truth, what he's trying to do is lead Peter into freedom and away from the lies of untruth, away from the places where slavery was leading him into. And so what you see is the truth actually sets us free. And when you look around the world today, yes, there are some people who claim they have absolute truth and they do impose their views on others. And when they say, we believe this is true, sometimes what it does is it curtails some of our actions in our lives. But that becomes a problem for many people in our world because our world today thinks that if I have free, my freedom means I get to choose for myself what is right and wrong. My truth, whatever I want that to be, is what I want it to be and no one should step on that. Absolute truth is seen as the enemy of freedom. So Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14, I'm going to do this and we'll hit more later towards the end of the message, but this is what Paul says. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. That means he was living in freedom. He's living in freedom. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So when these other people come in, he leaves the truth. And what does it do? It leads him into places that look like a lot like racism. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Again, if you know you can't follow the law, why do you force these people to follow the Mosaic law? And that interaction right there is something our culture is not comfortable with on two levels. One, one person is confronting somebody in front of a group of people, and the second one is that he is he is then doing this based upon the truth. And so what do we say to that? What do you do when there is the truth and you are being told your truth is not the truth? Actually, the Supreme Court actually enshrined this. In 1992, there's a Supreme Court decision, and this is what they said. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe. And so there it is. And so what do you do with that? 
well, I think there's some things that we can talk about in this. And I was reading this book, shocker, I know, by Tim Keller, even more of a shocker, I know. But anyway, uh, in this book, he talks about this idea of truth. And I thought this was really good. And I'm not going to try and just pigeonhole this in here. I think it really does work for Galatians. And the first thing he says is that the truth is a lot more important than people think it is. And the second thing he says is that freedom is a lot more complex than people could ever imagine. And the third thing is, is that Jesus is a lot more liberating than people think. So we're going to talk about that today in regard to Galatians and in regard to how we step forward in the truth. That the truth is more important, freedom is more complex, and Jesus is more liberating than we can imagine. Okay, so number one, start here. The truth is more important than we think. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The truth was going to lead them to freedom. So Galatians is this account of what is happening in the earliest days of the Christian church, how the gospel is being fought for, what the gospel truly is. Now, the earliest Christians were Jewish, which means they observed the the Mosaic ceremonial law, the ritual purity code. Like what you would eat, what you would wear, how you sacrifice, those type of things. And so Paul is now preaching grace and reconciliation to all of these Gentiles. And these Gentiles are now coming into these churches that were mostly and predominantly Jewish. And so there is this question, has Jesus fulfilled all the ceremonial laws, all the sacrifices? Paul's answer is, yes, he has. So do the Gentiles need to follow and observe all of these rules? And Paul's answer is no. And so this argument then arises. Like, we followed the law our entire lives. They never have to sacrifice their Mary had a little lamb like I did. That's unfair. I think they should have to do it just to feel how hard we had it for all these centuries. And this breaks out, and there's a lot of anger in the midst of that. And so Paul says people are spying on the freedom that he brought to these Gentiles in Christ. As we looked at a couple weeks ago, the church in Jerusalem, like the mothership, said, yes, Paul, you are preaching the gospel. You go to the Gentiles. You take that message out. And so Paul is fighting for the freedom that comes from the truth because freedom comes from the truth. Now, that is the exact opposite of what our culture says today. This is the exact opposite of how our culture thinks. We think that if anyone says we need to comply with the truth, that is a lack of freedom. But I'll tell you, only in knowing what the truth really is will we ever live in freedom. And this is what Paul is saying to the Galatians. Don't be caught in these lies. Live in the truth of the gospel. And so when you talk about truth, you have to understand there are different types of truth. Like, here's a no-brainer. You talk about gravity. Gravity is what we call an objective truth. It's just true. You might say... I don't believe in gravity. And then you'll jump off a building and then you hit the concrete and you still may say, I don't believe in gravity, but it just showed you it's real. Gravity is real. Gravity is what we call an objective truth. It is true for everybody, whether you believe it or not. I talked to you about this a few weeks ago. So there is this thing called subjective truth. And subjective truth is if I said to you, what's the coolest car ever made? Some people would say, oh, it's a Lamborghini. Some of you guys would be like, oh, it's a Corvette. Uh, some people say 68 Camaro, 65 Ford Mustang. We talk about music. Oh, country music is great. Country music is, is terrible. Pickles are good. Pickles are are terrible. You know, pickles are wonderful. Back and forth. Subjective truth is the opinion of one person. There's not really a way to measure that statement against reality. It cannot be evaluated apart from somebody's opinion. 
Now, other people will either support or come along and say, I oppose your statement of your subjective truth, but it's equally subjective opinions just coming together. Subjective truths are almost impossible to say are true in any meaningful sense. Now, the problem today, though, is that we are taking and elevating subjective truths of people into the arena of objective truths. We're taking these opinions. Like today, people will say, this is my truth. And if you just go back 10 years ago, you would say, oh, well, that's your opinion. But you cannot do that today. Today, it's this is my truth. Now, you look at objective truth. Objective truth is a factual statement, right? Gravity is real. Uh, my wife and I own a 68 Camaro. Uh, I don't listen to country music, at least not on purpose. Sometimes people borrow, borrow my car, and they put it back into the garage and put it on the country music station because they think they're funny. <laughs> they're not. And if you've ever done it, you can't borrow my car again. Anyway, right? <laughs> And if, I, and if I own the car, I say I do, and if I don't listen to country music, well, those statements are true objectively. Now, in recent years, there's been an attack upon the concept of objective truth, and it's starting to destroy the things that we are supposed to hold as near and dear. Objective truth is being reduced to the area of subjective truth. You take this statement, God exists. Now, you take that statement, in the past, that was deemed as an objective statement about reality. You could agree with it or disagree with it, but even atheists who disagreed with it would disagree with on the basis of objective external reality. That's how we would deal with it. But today, because it has been moved to the area of subjective, now today someone will say, well, that's your truth. God may exist for you, but he doesn't exist for me. And that really makes no sense when you think about it. The focus has changed from objectivity, which seeks to find correspondence to objects in the real world, to subjectivity, which depends on who's making the statement. And today it seems that all statements about religion or theology are considered by many people to simply be subjective statements and opinions. And if you want to go deeper into this, at our element year we're going to start in April, we're going to talk more about this and what that kind of looks like. So. That's my little primer for that. So in recent years, we've been elevating subjective truth to objective truth. And let me explain what I mean by that. Because today, a person can embrace his truth, her truth, their truth, whatever it is, and we have to say, oh, that's the truth. And I'm not trying to stick my head in the oven right now or set any of you on fire. So give me some grace. Listen to everything I'm about to say and not just hear the first five words that come out of my mouth and then want to crucify me. Okay, so here we go. Uh, when people are born, they are born one of two genders, okay? That's just how it is. That's biology. But there are cultural forces today that are trying to push us to make gender subjective. And so a male today can say, I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body. Now, you go back two decades ago, that would have made no sense whatsoever. But today, because we say his truth, her truth, their truth, whatever, well, that can be whatever they want it to be. And hear me, I'm not trying to make a political statement right now. I'm trying to get to a place where we understand why truth is more important than we think. That's why Paul preaches the way he does about grace. God's grace is not subjective. God's grace is objective, and we must learn to trust in it, to live in it. And today, because our world has been flipped upside down in regard to truth, we don't know what to do with these objective statements. And so you have a biological male or female, no matter what they think of themselves, at a certain point in their life, they will have probably have to go to a doctor. And if they have gone through surgery and done all of those things, and if they do not tell the doctor what their birth gender was, they might actually actually die. Because as you get older, certain medical issues take place if you're a male or a female. It is just objective truth. And this is why it's so important to understand the truth. 
You ever hear a philosopher named Nietzsche? Okay, so Nietzsche is a guy that Hitler embraces like all of his teachings. He doesn't bring about the Nazis, so don't, I'm just trying to give you some context. But one of his most prominent adherents was a guy named Foucault. And Foucault has this popular opinion in his day, and it's what our culture holds to about truth. This is what he says. Truth is a thing of this world. It is produced only by virtue of multiple forms of constraint. And so what Foucault says is, all the truth claims that are in the world, they are only a way to people to gain, gain power and constrain other people. Claiming to have the truth is only a method of control. Now, Nietzsche will say the same thing. He will say all truth claims are power plays. Now, here's the objective truth about what they said. Both those statements are truth claims. Both of them. Okay? So what do you do? Do you listen to him? Do you not listen to them? Uh, Freud says this. All statements about religion and God are psychological projections to deal with your own guilt and insecurity. Well, so is that statement. Because that statement is a statement about God and religion. And all these people who try and make all these statements about truth or religion, they keep explaining away their own explanations. And here's the point. At some point, there has to be truth. And if all truth is subjective, well, that would then be an objective truth. So that, it, it doesn't make sense. Here's the reality. I know it takes me a little bit to get here, okay? So <laughs> give me some grace here. But everybody makes truth claims. Everybody makes truth claims. You have to. So it's not what's in the truth claim per se. I mean, it's not in what's in the truth claim that brings oppression. It's what's in that truth claim. Like, how do we live that out? When Keller talks about this, he references this mass shooting that took place in a town near him where a guy goes in and he murders a bunch of Amish school children. Now, the guy was not Amish. He's not religious. He had a lot of mental issues. But one of the little girls in this classroom stands up in front of everybody and says, kill me and let everybody else go. This is a little girl who has never watched a movie, never seen a TV show, they're Amish. The only place she ever saw this was Jesus who gives himself for all of us. Now after this is over, the reporters, they're astounded because this Amish community, they get together and they forgive this guy who had killed their children. They take up a collection for the widow and the children of this man. Why do I tell you this? Because by anybody's definition, the Amish are fundamentalists. The Amish believe they have absolute truth. And when people think of fundamentalists, they think of oppression, but not here. Why not? Because it depends on what the fundamental is. It depends on what it is. You have a lot of people today, their fundamental is their subjective truth. And it is leading so many people into despair. Our fundamental in our lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Jesus died on a cross for his enemies. Jesus, who with his last breath, blesses the people around him. He prays for their forgiveness. And when we take that truth into the center of our life, that truth claim brings freedom. See, it's not just truth claim. It's what's in the truth claim. Keller writes this. It's true that truth claims can be used to destroy freedom, but there is no freedom without the truth. Jesus speaks to his followers, John 8, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, so truth does not erode our freedom. You have to have the truth in order to step into true freedom. We have to be in touch with what the truth is to be in touch with what freedom actually is. And freedom is not being able to create our own truths, because true freedom only comes when we submit to the absolute truth. So that's the first thing, right? Truth is more important than anybody thinks it is. It really is. 
Second thing is this, freedom then becomes much more complex, much more complex. So don't forget that all this that we're talking about is taking place with Paul who goes to Jerusalem. They have this discussion with the elders in Jerusalem about Paul's mission and in preaching the gospel. And they say, yes, this is great. Go tell the Gentiles that, but don't forget the poor. And so Paul goes to the Gentiles. They are the ones at this time who had all the power and money and authority. And the Jewish Christians were the ones who were starving to death. And so the elders say, win them to Christ, but have them see how important the things that God says in our lives is truth spoken over us, that we would live in that and that they would care about the poor. In Galatians 2, 4, Paul says we're free in Christ, but in verse 10, he still says there's certain things when we love Jesus, we're just simply going to do, like care for the least of these. And what that means is freedom in Christ doesn't mean we live any way we want. It doesn't mean we spend money any way we want. Steal, eat pickles, listen to country music, and leave it on Aaron's car when you return it. We're free, but we're restricted. We're restricted. And as people from our culture, we automatically say, I thought freedom was the absence of any restrictions. The fewer restrictions there are, the more free I am. And that's wrong. And that's wrong because you can watch people who live that way, and their lives devolve into bondage. See, we have to understand when somebody says that, oh, there's no restrictions on me, that is self-centered and it's an oversimplification. So let me show you what I mean. Uh, the older you get, the more you will realize you can no longer eat just anything you want. Okay, I mean, I'm, go back five years. I ate three giant meals a day and I still look like a junior high girl, right? I mean, just, just tiny and skinny. I, now, I start putting on weight pretty quick because the older you get, those things happen. And sometimes you go to the doctor and the doctor will say, I know you like eating all this stuff, but you can eat some of that, but you can't eat all of it all the time or you're going to die. Anybody have that comfort? Okay. Because <laughs> when you are young, ah, uh, just love those days. They will be over. Anyway. <laughs> So you go to the doctor, and you have to restrict your diet if you want to step into health and freedom. Now, you can eat any way you want, but it's going to lead you into places of death and horrible health, and you'll be in the hospital all the time. And so if you want to live in true life and freedom, you restrict certain things. There is a certain liberation that comes from restricting your life, then you step into a richer and greater freedom. Take a concert musician. Maybe they even have an aptitude for some type of instrument, but they will still practice. They will make a decision to restrict their lives and practice in certain areas so they'll be released to a freedom of a much greater place where they can play their music in other areas. And so that means at some point where everybody else is running off doing meaningless stuff like playing video games or doing whatever, they will spend practicing. You restrict yourself now to be released to a far richer, deeper freedom of being able to perform. If you didn't restrict a freedom here, you would never be released into a freedom there. Discipline and restriction can actually release you into a greater freedom. And so freedom is not the absence of restriction. It's not the presence of restriction. It goes back to what and why we are restricting. Again, so, so look at me, right? Uh, I am built pretty much like a junior high girl. I could never play pro football no matter how many restrictions and how much effort I put into my life. I will never be a pro basketball player. White men can't jump. That's this guy right here, okay? I mean, my hops are like six inches. That's it. I, I can't jump, jump at all, so I'll never make it. And sometimes we tell kids this thing of you can be anything you want to be. That's a lie. That's it's, it's it's a lie. You know, because no matter how much they do certain things, it's not going to happen. And if we don't tell kids the truth, sometimes they will waste their lives because freedom is not the absence of restriction. It's not necessarily even the presence of the restriction. It's the presence of the right restrictions, the ones in accord with our nature of how God made us. 
God has made us to be us, not someone else. One writer says it like this, the truth is part of the givenness of your nature. So a musician, again, because they might have an aptitude, but they still have a certain restriction that releases them in other areas. Little pastor, built like a junior high girl, is not going to make it to play pro ball, no matter how much he restricts himself. Because freedom is not the presence or the absence of restrictions. It is the presence of the right restrictions in accord with our nature. That's the truth of who God made us to be. And if we are a people who could let go of our perceived freedom and simply start to live how God made us, it's going to release us into a deeper, richer, fuller freedom. And this is what Paul is arguing for the people in Galatia. This is what he's trying to tell them. The truth will set you free. Here's an example. You take a fish and you take it out of water. You stick it on a Falcon, SpaceX, heavy rocket, and you shoot him into outer space. Look how free he is. He's got no gravity. He gets to float around. No, the fish is going to die. Why? Because he's not in the water. A fish has to be restricted to water to have the freedom of movement and to actually live. True freedom is complex. And for us to live in love and grace, honoring and loving others, meaning there are certain restrictions we place on our life. Keller says it's like love. And I get this. Because when you love someone, you restrict yourself. If you are in a true, loving relationship with another person, you're going to find deep freedom. You're going to find tons of security and fulfillment and joy. But those freedoms only come when you surrender much of your individual freedom. I change my schedule for my wife. I change how I spend money, sometimes. <laughs> um, I will watch this TV show called Outlander because she likes it. No matter how I feel about it, I, I will watch that. I, in my life, I try to not make small unilateral decisions because I want to make sure I am honoring her in those. And my wife always says, make sure you also tell people how we don't get along, we fight. Okay, so I, I have one of... When I didn't do this, just last night, we were at this birthday party. There was this 80s band that was playing. My wife grew up. She loved Duran Duran growing up. And so this band starts playing this Duran Duran song. And my wife, she's, I was outside talking to somebody else, and she comes out just all smiles, and she's all, and she grabs my arm, and she wants to dance. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not happening, no. And she's all, and, and, and I just saw it kind of. Okay, so she goes back inside, and I gra grabbed a friend of mine's wife, and I said, hey, would you go dance with my wife for this song? <laughs> and my wife, at that point, she was, she was done. I made this decision a while ago when my wife asked me things that, if they're not obviously ungodly, um, I would say yes, and I forgot about that last night. And I think she would have just had so much joy, this greater freedom, because I gave up my freedom to not be embarrassed, and, and I would have gone and danced, but I didn't. And if I had to do over, I would probably do it, and I would hate it. But I'd probably do it because there's a deeper freedom when you give up your own freedom. The only way to get there is to surrender your freedom. And if you see where I'm going, my goal is to get you to see that we surrender our lives to the truth of God. And you might be afraid because maybe somebody somewhere has exploited you or used you, maybe even used the name of God to exploit or use you. But that is not who Jesus is. God does not do that. First off, the truth is more important than we think. Second, freedom is much more complex than we imagine. The third thing is this. Jesus is more liberating than we think. 
So Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Paul says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. I'm going to explain this next week, by the way. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And this is about trusting and surrendering to Christ, living in freedom. And again, I'll explain this next week. We'll actually go through this. But there is this older movie called iRobot. Anybody ever heard? Okay. Uh, much different than the book. If you read the book, much different. Uh, but in the movie, the main character is Sonny the Robot. And Sonny the Robot is created for one purpose. That is to head off the robot rebellion. Now, you get to the end of the movie. It's 20 years old, guys. All right? I told Sarah McCall this, and she's like, I can't believe I'm that old. I remember this movie. So anyway, you get to the end of the movie, and spoiler Sonny fulfills his design program. Okay, but now what? It's like he has nothing to live for. He fulfilled his purpose, and now what does he do? So he's talking to this guy named Detective Spooner, and he says this, now that I fulfilled my purpose, I don't know what to do. Detective Spooner says this, I think you'll have to find your way like the rest of us, Sonny. That's what it means to be free. That's what it means to be free? Really? Just finding your way throughout this life, trying to figure out truth on your own. That's the modern understanding of freedom. It's a modern understanding of how people see God. You've got a set of divine directives, and if you follow those divine directives, well, you're just a robot. That's all there is. But, but, if you want to be free, well, then you define your own purpose. That's freedom. And that's dumb, because it has the idea that you're only free if there's nothing that you are made for. That's, you're free. That's subjective truth. And that subjective truth is destroying people in our culture today. Because they think, I wasn't designed for anything. I've got to figure out my life. And they jump from one thing to another to another, thinking each of these things are going to fulfill them. Guys, we don't create our purpose. Our purpose has been given to us. You are not set adrift in the world. We are to be God's image bearers in the world. We are his children. And when we run from that purpose, our lives disintegrate. In, the, in John 1.1, 1, 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, in the Greek language, people were amazed because John is speaking like one of their philosophers here. In the beginning, the word for word is this word called logos. And logos relates to our word for reason or logic. So it's not reason in general, but what is the reason for life? That's the question that they would ask when they talked about the Logos. The Greek philosophers asked that question. What's our reason for life? What's our reason for existence? What are we made for? Like a fish is designed for water. It's only free when it's in the water. Water equals freedom. What are we made for? So if we give ourselves to this and surrender, we experience freedom. You know, what is our Logos, our absolute truth? Because that's the environment we experience freedom in. So they debate this for centuries. And they became very disillusioned. When Jesus shows up, they're entirely disillusioned, just like Detective Spooner. And they said, well, if there isn't any absolute truth we're made for, I guess the best we can do is knowing we're not made for anything. Life is kind of meaningless. But here comes Jesus, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. John is saying there is absolute truth. Well, what is that? John 1.14. And, and the Word, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John says, there is absolute truth, but it's not a subjective thing. It is a person. That's what the truth is. That's who the truth is. Actually, Keller calls it the personal absolute. I really like that. So it's not an absolute principle. It's an absolute person. Here's what we were made for, him. That's what we're made for. 
And this is so important for us. You know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says it like this. The chief in demand is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We find our joy in him. Truth will lead us to freedom, which leads us to Christ, who leads us to truth and leads us into freedom. That's the beauty of this. And this is why the gospel is so important. Because Jesus gave himself for us. And this is what Nietzsche and Foucault and Freud and the fictional detective Spooner don't understand. They don't understand the self-sacrificing love of God in the person of Jesus. They see God up in heaven going, here's the Ten Commandments. You do this, you don't do that. You know, a relationship with a God like that is only one way. You do all the sacrificing. That's how that works. But that's not the gospel. That's not God. See, there is only one God, and in Christianity, our God says, I am the absolute truth. And yet he became a person and goes to the cross on our behalf. He pays for our sin. Who is the one who sacrifices for who? Jesus sacrifices for us. That's how it works. That's true liberation. God doesn't give you a set of abstract rules and say, obey these and you go to heaven, because then you'd be driven by fear. Well, if I don't do this, well, then, you know, God's going to get me. He's going to send me to hell. That's how so many people think that what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God has given himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We surrender to his truth. We then get to live in freedom. He lives the life we should have lived. He dies the death. We deserve to die because we broke relationship with God and we run away from him every single day. But on the cross, Jesus saves us by sheer grace. And that is liberating. We need the truth because the truth is more important than we think. The truth leads us. He agrees. The truth leads us to freedom, which can only lead us to Christ, who leads us to truth, who leads us into freedom. And this is why, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, this is why it's so important to understand the absolute truth of the gospel, of how Jesus came and he rescues us and he brings us to himself. In our culture today, with all the cultural tides running back and forth and wanting to pull you one way or the other, we come back to what the truth is. The truth is found in Christ And then we can step into this world that has all these things pulling them all these different ways. And we can step in with our center bearings of our life in a place that is immovable. The love and the grace of Christ who has come to save every single one of us. That Jesus gives himself for us to bring us to himself in relationship. And today, when you come and we offer you the place to take communion... That's what I want you to remember. The absolute truth of God's love for us displayed in what we take place in communion. Again, communion is not something we pass around the room. It's something that you actually have to get up and and do. It's a response to what God is doing in your heart and in your life. And I want you to remember the absolute truth of who God is in the understanding. (laughs) He hates the end of the message every time, I'm telling you. It's like, stop talking, please. We love kids. We do, okay? The absolute truth. We love babies. All right. Uh, So when you take communion, remind yourself of what Christ did in saving us, the truth of what it is. Guys, again, every TV show I watch, every movie I see, just about every non-Christian book I read has this idea that the truth is subjective, whatever you feel like. And 
it leads us to a place where we feel so unsure. This is why we must always come back to understanding the gospel and the truth of God's rescue over us, the person of Jesus Christ and his rescue of us, because that is the foundation of our lives, that we go out and can live in this world in a way that, that brings love and hope to people who maybe disagree with you, but you love them because you understand, just like Peter, I was once lost. I am saved and justified by the blood of Christ, just like anybody else who trusts and believes. There's nothing better about me. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, it typically says that, that God's heart is towards those who aren't that bright. And so maybe if you believe, you, you know, there you go. <laughs> God loves us in our lost and broken state. And this is the beauty of what the gospel brings. Absolute truth found in the person of Jesus Christ. So when you take communion, remember that today. If you need prayer, you know, maybe you have felt so wishy-washy or maybe you've misunderstood what salvation looks like or what God calls you, calls you into and, or maybe you have all these questions about I'm supposed to do this and not do this and God just wants to whack me with his gigantic spoon and send me to hell. And I, They would love to pray with you about all of those things going through your head because we want you to understand the grace of God, the goodness of who he is, but also the absolute truth of what our salvation looks like in the absolute truth of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, if you like to give, there's offering boxes on the side walls. Element doesn't pass a plate. It's just a response to what God has done. And so you can give online. You give on the boxes on the walls. And we invite you to grab those sermon notes, take those questions, and maybe today, this week, at some point, talk to one another about some of those questions that are in there. Like for you, you know, what, what are some subjective truths that you just think are absolutes? I mean, like country music is horrible. I feel like that should just be an objective truth. But people disagree with me. I don't know why. Uh, you know, but, but what... <laughs> But what things, you know, are subjective that you may be held as objective? And we need to step back and think, what is the objective truth? And then begin to live our lives in that objective truth. Because only by doing that will we ever be free. Will we ever be free? And Jesus has led us to the truth so that we can live in freedom and life. Let's pray. Thought of this morning. We ask that we would be a people who move to a place to understand the objective truth of who you are, of your grace that has been freely given to us by you, that it is not something that we can earn. It is not something that we can make greater the more things that we do. It is simply something that we rest in as being true. And so teach us to have the ability to discern between objective truth and subjective truths in our lives and come to the place where we rest in the hope of the objective truth of our salvation found in you. That if there is one thing we know and hold to be true, it is you. And that would give us confidence to live in this world in ways that has a center when everything seems to be tossed around by all of these waves. And that center would teach us to live in the humbleness of the redeeming grace that we have received. And so we would interact with people, even those who vehemently disagree with us, but we would interact with grace and hope 
and a deep understanding of what even for us it meant to be lost and now to be found in you. They would breed a deep compassion as we understand our own great salvation given by you. Teach us to be a people of the truth that would live and walk in the truth that you would be glorified and that we would live in joy and that we would speak hope to this entire world because of your grace given to us. And we ask that in your son's good name. Amen. As we drop the curtains, uh, just take a moment and ask God, say, God, right now, what subjective things am I placing my life into that are leaving me adrift? What things do you hold on to so strongly that may not even be an objective truth? In what ways maybe are you afraid to give up your personal feelings of freedom to fully surrender to him in your life? Ask him to reveal that to you. And then, as he does, don't just build a wall around it. Take a step back and listen as God's spirit leads. And then come and take communion, sing a couple songs with us, and hopefully maybe talk to some other people about what we talked about this morning and step out into this world knowing that we have a solid foundation in Christ and we can live our lives knowing that our God not only loves us but has done everything to bring us back into relationship with himself. And so when we ask God, show me the places that I have these subjective truths and show me the places that I'm afraid to step into freedom to let go of all the things I'm holding on to, to let you be sovereign in my life, that we can trust God in that. We can trust him. Ask him to reveal it. And then begin to trust him as you step out each and every day with him.